Well, hey guys, what's up? What's going on? Um, all right. So um, what I've been assigned to teach tonight is the prodigal son. Um, the text is in um, Luke. Um, it's in Luke 15. Um, but I will pray for us before we get going. Um, Father, thank you for tonight. We can um, dive into your word. Father, I pray um, that the Spirit would guide us in our interpretation of your word. I pray that we would see more of Jesus um, and how beautiful he is. Um, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so what I've been told is y'all have gone through the parable of the lost sheep, and you've gone through the parable of, of the lost coin. Is, is that right? All right, so if, if y'all been, um, have y'all, I assume that that means y'all have read verses one through two of chapter 15. Um, but we're just gonna go, go back through it one more time. All right, so the prodigal son is probably one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. Would y'all agree with that? Okay, so most of your Bibles, it's gonna say the parable of, of the prodigal son at the heading of verse 11. Um, but I'm sure Ryan has told you this as well. This, it's actually about two people. It's the parable of the two sons. Um, and Jesus is, so tonight we're going to talk about the first son, um, who I would definitely identify with more in my life. Um, and Jesus is going to say some pretty shocking things. So what, and it's, it may not be shocking to us, but what I want us to do is try and put on the glasses of a first century Jewish person. Pretty impossible. But we're going to try our best. So try and, and, and I'm, I'm going to give us some hints and some signposts along the way where, where we can kind of point out, all right, this would be shocking to someone in that culture uh, because cultures over time change. And this, um, this particular gospel is written um, to the Gentiles, but um, in the context he's talking to Jews here. So but before we get going, we need to identify who is listening. So who is Jesus talking to? Uh, chapter 15, verse 1 through 2. Um, is there any way that we, we could get Luke 15, 1, 1 through 2? Oh, thank you guys. Asking you shall receive. Um, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. All right, so that's the first group. Second group. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. All right, so we have two groups of people. We have tax collectors and sinners, and we have the Pharisees and the scribes. So, does anyone know what a tax, a tax collector is in this time frame? This is crowd participation. He's a, all right, why, why is he a bad dude? All right, that's good. That's good. So that's, that's great. Yeah, so this is someone who is um, of Ill, Ill repute. Someone in, this con, someone in this context would see a tax collector and would think, hmm, and, he, and here's why. So, the Jews at this time are under the occupying force of the Romans. All right, so Rome is in charge over the Jews, but Rome gives them freedom to, to worship God. Now, how Rome takes over um, people groups in this time frame is really brutal. Um, and ha I mean, they would just wipe it out, but they would also give these, these people that they would go and conquer, they would give them the, um, the choice to submit to them. Um, but if you didn't, they would wipe you out, right? And on the roads in between whatever city that you were in that was just conquered and Rome, they would actually have crosses along the road of crucified people. What are they trying to say? Don't mess with us. We're Rome. We dominate. And they did for a long time. But if you're a tax collector 
what you have done is you are a Jew, right? And it's like Jewish independence is a big deal to you, but you have sold, you actually bought rights from Rome to tax your own people. So who do you now represent? You represent Rome and a people um, that is absolutely brutal. So these people were often kicked out of, syn- out of synagogue, which is like the fabric of life, um, the fabric of social life in that time period. And so they, they were hated. So that's the tax collector, right? And really, to be honest with ourselves, if we were there too, we wouldn't like him, right? Probably not. And then there's the other person in that category. There's the sinner. So sinner is... Um, oftentimes it's just like a general word that's used to describe a group of people. Oftentimes it's prostitutes. All right, so Jesus is speaking and you have tax collectors and prostitutes. Someone who is in regular society, when you come near them, you would think, I feel really uncomfortable right now. Right? So they're over here. The next group of people are the Pharisees and, and the scribes. And I often think that, that the Pharisees get a bad rap. And because when, when you hear Pharisee in, in, in the Bible, what do you usually think? Hmm? Yeah, they're, they're hypocrites. Jesus calls them hypocrites. That's, that's absolutely right. But on the outside, they look really good. They're probably really nice guys. Like they, these are like your average, um, actually they're, they're far from average, they're incredibly smart. Um, but outwardly, they're really good people, right? So Jesus talks to them, and they tithe on even the spices in their cupboard. Right? So they go through the cupboard, and they tithe on each individual spice. Right? They, they give it to the synagogue. And they, outward righteousness, acting the right way, is a big deal to them. But Jesus makes accusations about their heart, right? But um, we don't get to get to them. That's for next week for, for y'all. But for tonight... But I just want you to know, Jesus is talking to two groups of people, and tonight we're going to focus on the tax collectors and the sinners, right? So with that, let's jump into the parable of the prodigal son or of the two sons, Um, but we will be, I guess for us tonight, is the parable of the prodigal son. Verse 11, and he said, so this is Jesus, a man had two sons. I have the ESV, if you did a different version, not a big deal. And he said, uh, there was a man who had two sons, and the father... And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to him. All right, what did he just ask for? His inheritance, right. Um, I'm no inheritance law expert. When do you usually get your inheritance? All right, when your parents die. What did he just say to his dad? I wish you were dead, and I want your stuff. All right, so in our culture right now, still pretty shocking, right? It's pretty mean. Can we, can we all agree on that? All right, in that culture, which is an honor-shame culture, um, Jesus just shocked everyone in the crowd because you just don't do that. Like, see, it, it's not even like a faux pas, like something you shouldn't do. It's something that no one does. So let's keep walking. Jesus just shocked us, so let's act shocked. Ooh, we're shocked. All right, here's what's even more shocking. The father does it, and he divided his property between them. Boom. He does it. So most of what the father had probably isn't liquid cash, right? It's probably in property, animals, that kind of stuff. So so the father actually sells it, right? He he sells his portion, and he gives to his son the wealth. And so verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. All right, so what, what's happening? Give me a synopsis. All right. That's right. That's right. He's, he's taken his father's money, which he wrongfully asked for. He goes and he squanders, he squanders it in reckless living, which um, actually later in verse 30, the older brother lets us know that this was spent on prostitutes. Maybe not all of it, but at least some of it, right? So who, who do you think Jesus is appealing to in the crowd with that? Who's, who's listening right now? All right, so what? Sinners. Yep, the sinners, that's right. So just, if, if we pay attention, we can kind of catch up on, on things, and, and y'all are doing a great job helping me out. All right, so he went and hired himself out to the sins of that country. So he has now spent all of his dad's money. He's now a slave. He's with the paws and the pigs. And it's a very interesting um, little line that Luke gives us here. And no one gave him anything. Who just gave him something that he shouldn't have received? His father. How does the world treat him? They didn't give him anything. Nothing. We'll, we'll come back to that. But when he came to himself, so all he's like, whoa. I'm sure it was just like that. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise again to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. All right, so he thinks to back home and how the servants had it even better than he did. And I, I don't know if any of you guys in here ever missed a curfew before, but, but I, I've missed quite a few um, in, in my lifetime. I don't have one now with my wife, thank goodness. She doesn't install one on me. But, but, but my parents did. And when I was in the car on the way home, I would always rehearse my story. Mom, Dad, here's why I'm late. Here's what happened. I, and I was pretty convincing. I was, I was top of my class in, in that. And this is what he's doing. And so in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So, so the time comes. I guess it's probably in his heart there's been some anticipation. Right? He's thinking about, I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys have ever done this. I, I do it a lot. If I have a conversation that I'm dreading, I tend to play it out in my head a few times. Like, how's it going to go? What's he going to say? What's she going to say? And then I just get anxious. Like, oh, it's not going to go how I want it. It's going to go worst case scenario. It's all going to go terribly. Everyone's going to hate me, Right? That's often how, how, how anxiety works itself out in our minds and hearts. I have no doubt this guy has done this. Part of this, part of this son rejecting his father, it's not just about the father and the son, it's about the community as well. The, the community would have felt rejected. Really, that probably everyone in this guy's hometown hates him. And he's, he's kind of throwing a Hail Mary at, at, at this point. I've got no options. There was a famine. No one took care of me. Even my dad's servants are taken care of. And so he comes home, and here's the moment that he's been thinking of, and he's going to rehearse his story. And he comes to his father, but in verse 20, what did his father do? The first thing, what's the first verb? His father 
felt compassion. He felt compassion in his heart, but what happened before that? He saw him. All right, so I'm no geographical specialist, all right? In the ancient Near East, there are a lot of flat places. There's a good chance. I mean, I, I mean, just think about this. In order for the father to see his son from a long way off, what was he doing? He was looking. He was looking. He was anxiously waiting for the son to come home. Now, why do we think that the son left in the first place? Because the, the key to the reason why both sons are, are, are disobedient is the same, right? Jesus is gonna drive home one point for, for both. So I, I may have just ruined next week for you, I'm sorry. But, but the point is the same. Why did the son leave the father in the first place? He said, I could never be happy here. I don't want you, dad. I'll, I just want your stuff. Right? I, I'm, it, there's a good chance he saw his father as some sort of rule maker, right? some, sort of, um, some sort of tyrant. And, and you even get that feeling from the way that the old, older son acts later in the story, which we can't go to. But trust me, this guy doesn't see the heart of his father. That's the key to the story. He doesn't see the heart of the father. And he leaves because he's confident that he will be happier and find more joy away from the presence of the Father, away from home. And yet the world gives him nothing and he comes home and his Father is scanning the horizon. He can't wait for him to come home, right? And so we pick back up. And he ran, all right, ran, all right, ancient Near East. Patriarchs don't run, right? Old men don't run. They don't expose their ankles. They don't expose their lower leg. Why? Because it, it's, it's a picture of being out of control. It's a little shameful. This father runs. He chooses to run to us, and he doesn't care what it looks like. And embraced him and kissed him. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But... The father said to his servant. So, but what happens between verse 21 and 22 is you, you realize that the son doesn't get all of his rehearsed speech out of his mouth. He, he doesn't even get to get through with it. He's planned it. He doesn't get it all the, all the way through because the father's like, ah, 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 bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. I want you to put the best robe on him. I want him to feel welcome back into the family. Put a ring on his hand. He's officially part of the family. Again, put shoes on his feet. They look terrible. He's been walking around barefoot. And bring the fat calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. All right, so let's... Let's go back up just real quick because there's one thing that we may have missed. Verse 20. So as, as he rehearses this pitch to his dad, everyone in the crowd, everyone in the crowd is expecting something different to happen because you have the tax collectors and the sinners, right? And they think after this guy has rehearsed this story, he's about to go home, they're, they're thinking, oh man, Jesus is telling this about me. Jesus is saying I'm horrible. I've lived a horrible life. This father is going to crush his son. And the Pharisees and the scribes are thinking, 
Yeah, this, this son's going to get what he's had coming to him. He left home. He should be punished. He should be punished. So everyone in the crowd is shocked at the father's response. In fact, so shocked that Jesus makes sure to tell us about the, old, the older son. But we can't get there yet. But what, what I want us to see, and what I really think Jesus wants us to see, where do you go for your joy? There are a lot of things that are competing for you, for your heart, for your love. The, the son in this story is convinced that it's not found with the father, so he, so he goes elsewhere. Okay, so, so for me, I, I grew up in church. I mean, dad did the sound and lights, mom sang in the choir. I went to a Christian high school with, with, with Ryan. His dad, Skip, taught me, best English professor out there. We, we went through a Lord of the Flies does anyone know Lord of the Flies in here? All right, that was my English teacher for Lord of the Flies, and it was ballin'. What? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was it's a scary book, man. Scary book. Yeah, talk about shocking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I went to a Christian high school. I even went to a Christian college. Um, but when, when I got to high school, here's, here's, here's what I started to see, is that... Jesus is cool. Like I was raised in the church, I, I could have rehearsed the gospel to you, right? Jesus was cool, but it's kind of lame compared to what everyone else was doing. I mean, to be honest, that's how I felt. And so I, it's like, I'm, okay, um, I can, I, here's what I did was I just identified with being Christian. Like I'll go to church, sure. But man, I, I didn't want anything to do with Jesus in a relationship, because I thought it was lame. So I, I, I was a dude who hid pills in his locker, took pills between classes, got drunk before school, smoked weed after class, after practice in the technology parks around Westlands campus. And then and I chose a college where I knew there was Greek life, and I joined Sigma Nu at Sanford University. And I, I wanted to give my, my life to, to partners. I mean, I got four years in college. I'm about to just burn it down, right? Well... There was a quarterback at Sanford. His name was Ben Neal. Actually, my, my son's name is Benjamin because of Ben, right? And, and so, so Ben would pick me up from the bars downtown. He would take me to Taco Bell when I was high, and he would just love on me and tell me about Jesus. And for me, I'm like, bro, I can, I can speak Jesus. I can use the lingo, righteousness. I can talk about the Bible and Romans. Like, in high school, I took a class on Paul. Like, I... I mean, really, like, I could speak the lingo of the church, right? And I could go to church, and I could fool everybody. But as far as my relationship was with Jesus, there was just nothing there. I mean, you, you would call me a, a hypocrite, but if you'd ask me, I'd, I'd probably say, yeah, I just don't want it, right? And so over time, especially my, my freshman year of college, is that I started to see, especially after I came home, because I was about to get kicked out of school for stealing stuff, so... Oh, I just hit the mic. But I started to see that all my friends were based around partying. Like, no one really cared about me when I left school, and, and I, I would call them and try and talk stuff through them. But, but Ben, Ben cared about me. And I had a pretty bad reputation with all the sororities on campus at that point. I, I was a huge jerk, right? And so everything that I had trusted in to make me happy, I, I mean, I really felt like the prodigal son, right? And so Ben challenges me, he said, bro, I, I dare you to read the gospel of Matthew by yourself. 
I had never opened the Bible on my own. I, the only Bible I had was the KJV, the like red letter KJV that my grandma got me when I was seven and my baptism, you know. I hope you'll read it. And never did. Um, and so I, start, I started going through Matthew and eventually asked my dad for his uh, NIV so I can actually read the thing. And, and I, I was confronted with, with, with this, is that Jesus is no doubt Savior. Right? And so what I wanted to use Jesus as, I wanted to live my life however I wanted to. And then when I died one day before God, I would pull out my Jesus card and say, well, hold on, I, I believed in Jesus the whole time. Right? And like, it was kind of like fire insurance. You don't need your fire insurance until your house is burning down. No one thinks about fire insurance until they really need it. Right? That's kind of how I viewed Jesus. But Jesus in the Gospels, he's only presented, he's presented with two characteristics, well, he's presented with a lot of characteristics, to be honest. But, but two titles are attributed to him, Savior and Lord, right? I wanted Jesus as my Savior, but I was my own Lord. I called the shots. It's kind of like if you were to walk in, into a room and you say, hey, man, I was talking with Donald Trump. You're like, you were talking with President Donald Trump? Like, no, it was just, it was just Donald Trump. Like, oh, then we're not talking about the same guy because the Donald Trump that I know is the president right now, right? And it's like, if you just talk about Jesus as your savior, I mean, you're getting part of it. But Jesus only comes as savior and Lord. And I realize that, is that Jesus, when he saves me, he owns me. And he's a much better God than I am. He's a much better Lord than I am. He's way better in charge of my life than I am. Jesus confronts in an, kind of an implied way the tax collectors and the sinners here. You know, there's no altar call. There's no necessarily straight up call for, for, for repentance. But he definitely asked them the question, where are you going? What are you looking for? And Jesus doesn't, you know, he doesn't say this in the passage but this part of Luke, it's called the travel narrative. Jesus is on the way to where? He's on his way to the cross. And so Jesus is looking at these two groups of people. He's saying, I am on my way to die for you because the father in the story, we can get it, he represents God, right? But there's no way that we can come to God without Jesus, because you and I, like especially, I just told you my story, right? I've blown it to epic proportions. There's no way that I can have a relationship with God. Because I've blown it. I have failed the standard that God has set, and the standard is perfection. And we all feel that in our hearts. We all just walk around feeling a little bit guilty. But Jesus lived the perfect life where I was disobedient. Jesus died the death that I owed God. I deserve wrath for eternity. Jesus took it on the cross. And so I can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And faith in Jesus is, I want you as my savior because I know that I failed the standard. I know that God requires perfection and I know that I need God. But you know, I... Again, this is my first time here. I don't know all of you guys. I don't know any of you, to be honest. But 
I wonder where in your life are you trying to be in charge of your own life? Where in your life, you know, where in your life do you say, mm, God, I'm going to give you most of my life, but this little thing I'm kind of holding on to because I'm afraid if I lose it, I won't be who I am. And Jesus says it's time to come home. The Father is searching the horizon. He's eagerly waiting for you to come to him. And some of you, I know in my life, I felt like God has been a tyrant. He's, a, he's this massive rule keeper in the sky. But the Bible says that he's a father. He's a father who gave up his son so you could have relationship with him. So maybe you identify with the prodigal. Maybe you would identify more with the older brother. But there's, there's one thing that we can say about both. Both have said, and we all have said, God, I, I really just want your stuff. Right? That's what Adam said. That's what we all say. But the offer on the table is to come home. And you may say, listen, Josh, I get it. I'm a Christian. Well, that, how does that make you feel that God longs for you like that with the heart of a father? And I, I've been in verse 16. I've, I've been in that place of, man, no one's going to give me anything. This world's not going to help me out at all. But Jesus says, you can come to me. You can come to the Father through me. Let's pray.